Bill. Um, if you didn't get an outline when you came in, um, this is the outline that I'm going to be following after. Um, do we have extra outlines out there, by the way? Is there anybody that does not have an outline? All right. God bless you. I got two, two guys over here. I see their hands. Good. All right. Um, so Titus, uh, we're in the book of Titus. Um, by the way, we have a handout here that tells you what is being preached on really between now and the end of May. It'll tell you the passages of Scripture that we're going to be looking at in the book of Titus. Um, I have made a commitment to you as a church that if you come here and you're here every week and you're taking notes and you sit on the very front row, well, okay, maybe not that, but um, if you come here, I want you to understand God's Word. I want you to be able to understand the book of Titus and be able to, to understand not, uh, not just that it's a book in the New Testament, but that it's a book that is to be understood. This is our fourth sermon in this particular book. Um, no, no, week number one was an introduction, kind of an overview on the book of Titus. Weeks I have been preaching on really questions that every leader must ask themselves, and there's ten specific questions. Times you can go on our um, web page, you can go on Facebook, but you can see two different sermons, questions that every uh, leader needs to ask themselves. And this morning, as it's stated on this wonderful handout here, uh, verses 10 through 16, warnings against false teachers. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And I'm wondering, as Bill so read to us earlier, that as you heard this passage of Scripture, I wonder if there's anybody in our audience that thought, what does that passage have to say to us today? And I would say to you, it has everything to say to us today. And we're going to be looking at this particular passage. But as I thought about that, I thought about some conversations I had this week. And you know what? There's a whole lot of people who can quote Bible verses to make excuses for the direction that they want to go. There's a whole lot of people who have an understanding of the Bible, but they really don't understand it in context, and they're really not wanting to make application in their lives. People who believe in racism have quoted the Bible. People who put nationalism over God and right theology can quote verses. People who want to push the LGBTQ agenda will quote Bible verses. People who want to go against what the Bible says will quote Bible verses when it comes to gender identity. There's all types of people and there's all types of preachers who will stand behind a pulpit and they will say a verse and they'll take it out of context and they'll go down a road and they're not teaching what is true. And you may say amen and, and bad against all these false teachers, but folks, I think false teaching affects us as a church more than we realize. I think it affects our homes more than we realize that we are sometimes so gullible that we're willing to swallow half-truths that's really not even the truth. And we need wisdom and we need understanding when it comes to 
these things. There are a number of things that Christians say that are simply not true. And, and I'm going to read these to you, and then I'm going to, I think I'm going to guess what some of you are thinking, and let's see how we do on that, all right? Here's some, think, here's some things that Christians think about or say. They say, well, God wants me to be happy. You know what? God wants you to be holy. God helps those who help themselves. You know what? God is so good, he helps those who can't even help themselves. Well-meaning people at a funeral, they will say, heaven gained another angel. You know, the Bible doesn't teach us when we die, we become angels. God has a whole bunch of angels, and they're mentioned in the scriptures, and they're beyond our counting, and they're all kinds of incredible angels that he made. And quite frankly, not everyone who dies goes to heaven. But we say things like that because it's like we just don't know what else to say, and everyone else says it, and so we're going to say it. How about this one? God won't give me more than I can handle. Can I tell you this? God won't give you more than he can handle. You look to him. You rely on him. How about this one? We are all God's children. John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus made it very clear that not everyone is God's children. Now, here's what some of you were doing when I said these things. Some of you were saying, but yes, some of that is true. There's elements in this, in some of these phrases that are true. Am I right? But guess what, folks? There's element. I mean, the devil is so good that he, he gives you some truth, but he gives you some error too. And you swallow the whole thing without even thinking. And I'm saying to Community Baptist Church, we need to be on high alert about things that we accept in our life that may or may not even be true. And things that we say because we've always said them or it has been said by other people who love the Lord, is there any examining of saying, okay, is this biblical? Is this right? And God, give us the humility and the wisdom to know the difference. And so I say, as we look at verses 10 through 16, this passage has everything to do where we are today. And I'm not talking about the other churches in our community because we know that Community Baptist Church is the best church in the whole wide world, right? And we would never tolerate any of this stuff. And it's all those other churches, but not, not really, folks. And there are good and godly churches who have stood for truth, but because of not being on high alert and not caring for the intentional truth of God's word and how it's practiced in our life, we just let things slide and we let them slide and we let them slide. And before too long, we stand for nothing. So, this is your outline, and I'm going to go very quick. Or is it quickly? I'm going to go. I'm going to go, all right? That's where I'm going to go, all right? Number one, the identity of the false teachers. And I want you to see in the Bible what it says here. In verse number 10, first of all, it says that there are many. And Paul sent Titus to the island of Crete, and there were many false teachers. And I believe that many people were saved on the day of Pentecost. They came back. Churches were started. But there was a lack of leadership. There was an elder. So he's there on the island to ordain elders. And there were many false teachers that were abounding. 
And folks, there are many false teachers that abound today. There were many false teachers that were abounding in Galatia. There were many false teachers that Jude had to contend with in the book of Jude. There were many false teachers when, when um, Paul wrote to, to Timothy when he's in Ephesus. And so false teachers is nothing new. It goes all the way back to the garden where there's righteousness and truth and deception and lies. And we must side and stand by God's grace with truth. In the context, look at verse number 14. Some of them were Jewish. It says that they were not, he says, don't devote yourselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of the people. Um, Jewish myths were um, also referenced in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. And if you read this particular passage, I, I, you know, if I said, do you understand who these people are? You, you really can't. It's just like, okay, I can see this, and I can see this, and I can see this. But it's, it's, it's people from the Jewish background who had just things to talk about, myths that really were not Bible, other things that were not truth. And it might have even been part of their heritage, but it wasn't true. They were myths. And then the other thing it says very specifically, it, it, and it, no doubt this goes back to the Jewish heritage, it was the commands of men. You know, it's easy for men to set up rules and regulations that really are not godly rules and regulations. Even in the Pharisees, no doubt, many of them were well-meaning, and then they said, well, hey, yeah, this is what the Bible says, but we're going we're gonna to make sure that we don't go near the cliff, and we're going to put the standard over here. And that's not a problem if you have some convictions and preferences. But when you want to make this, your com convictions and preferences, what God says, you're wrong. Because this is what God says. This is the way you interpret or this is where your convictions are. You have those. But don't equate that everyone has to do what you have come to the conclusion of. And it was the commands of man men that were going on and permeating the church here that he is taking to task as well. Verse number 14. Point number two, very quick, right? Point number two, the description of false teachers. And there are a good number of them. You see those on your outline. I just kind of want to walk through them. And I just kind of, when I, when I was reading the text this week, I just said, all right, here's, here's what is said about these. Number one, the Bible says that they are insubordinate. And this is the word that they are not willing to place themselves under the authority of truth. They're not willing to listen to what God says. They want to go and do their own thing. And human nature, in my own heart, doesn't want anyone telling me what to do. You know why? Because I want to do it my way. I want to do what I want to do. And that word is that they refuse to be under the authority of God and his word as it was taught and as it was spoken. That's one of the descriptions here of these false teachers. And it also kind of gives you a hint that those who are insubordinate are someone that they're inside of the church because we don't expect people outside of the church to be subordinate to what God says in the church, right? Right? But they're like, no way, I don't want to be there, I don't want to be underneath the word, I don't want to listen, I want to do my own thing. There are people who will miss church because they have wrong priorities. 
But there's also people who don't want to go to church because they don't want to hear what God says and what God says about them and their living and their life. This word here about being insubordinate, I think it's very interesting, is it goes back to the same word in verse number six about how a pastor's children should not be insubordinate. Same word. And I thought it interesting this, that if a pastor is not able to make sure that his kids, by, by grace and by conviction and by principles and by love and by discipline, if, if, if he's letting his kids run wild and they're not in subordination, then that person, is, if he's going to lead a church, then there's going to be a whole lot of other people who are going to be insubordinate running all over, the, all over the place doing and teaching things that they ought not to teach. Same word. Same principle. Number two, they are empty talkers. They can talk and talk and talk, and it's just, it, it, it comes to absolutely nothing. It's vain talking. It's worthless. Number three, they are dece deceivers. They willfully lead others away from truth. And we're going to find later on that they do this because they have a what's-in-it-for-me mentality. But they're leading others away from truth. Verse number 12, that they have a terrible reputation. And Paul quotes someone who is of that day who, who summarizes the people of Crete. And these people were like this. In verse 12, it says that they were liars. They were evil beasts. They were savage and malicious in standing against the truth. They didn't want to hear it. And they were false teachers who were idle gluttons it was all about them sensuality and food and anything else is just all about them this is a description of false teachers letter e on your outline it says that they have turned away from truth and this particular one is probably the one that broke my heart the most because it, it speaks to it's not that they they just don't know the truth and if they know the truth then they would come to the truth but they have heard the truth they understand the truth and they have said no and they have walked away they've turned away from truth and they're going the opposite direction with all of their intentions this week we have seen um, an illustration of that many of you heard the question I think it was this week maybe it was last week where a simple question was asked what is a woman that one question was asked and it's a simple question it's a simple question but a refusal to answer a basic question to which one knows the answer is very revealing a man by the name of Eric um, Davis wrote in a particular um, kind of like an email I get on Cripplegate it is, and it's a great thing to um, subscribe to. But here's what Eric Davis said about this. He said, Romans tells us that our problem is not that we don't know, but we hate knowing. Truth suppressors operate hourly knowing what males and females are, even believing that they exist and are distinct. They know full well what they are doing. They hate knowing what they can't unknow, so they suppress it. You only suppress what you know and can define. What you hate. 
Underneath this is a loathing of the inescapable authority of God. The way they shop, they go to the bathroom, they exercise their sexuality, and reproduces, preaches to them every day that God made them and chose their, their unchangeable gender for them. And even more loathsome, he writes, it all preaches that God is God and they are not, that they are the creature and he is the creator, that they are to be worshipers and he is to be worshiped, and nothing is more loathsome than, than that to the given over darkened mind that they turn away from truth. And folks, we can talk about this illustration, but how often in our own lives that we know the truth, we know what we ought to do, but we, we make excuses to do what we ought to do. And we turn away from what we know what God says that we ought to do. We play games. We play games with God and we play games with his word. And it's not right. Letter F, they are defiled in their mind and conscience. Verse 15. Verse 15 again, they are unbelieving. Verse 16 is, is really a whole backdrop of this whole book in Titus. And I'll, I'll preach a message on this at the very end of the series. But this is the first mention that the, the Bible in this particular book, it talks about their works. And what we find out in verse 16, that they profess to know God, but they deny them by their living, by their works, by their deeds. They make a profession about God, but in their life, they don't live like they are following God. Why? Because healthy doctrine, healthy theology will produce in our lives healthy and godly living. A wrong doctrine, an unhealthy doctrine leads to lawlessness and doing what we want and doing what we think is right and it's all about us and, and he, he addresses that here in verse 16 their claim is not reality because their deeds their works is contrary to what they say and this is the backdrop of the whole book of Titus is that that when God saves someone he saves us not because of our works which we have done but when we are saved, we will, we will work. We will be like Jesus. We will be followers of Christ. We will be called Christians, followers of Christ. Truth will impact our life. One commentator said this in Titus, about Titus 1.16. He says, Titus 1.16 is the hinge verse of the entire epistle. The opponents claimed to know God, but their godless lives showed that they did not. And as a result, they were not living out their salvation as God intended, pursuing good works. The essence of the Cretan theology was that their, that their thought, belief, and practice could be separated. And Paul spends most of the rest of the letter arguing that God's salvific work in the believer's life of obedience must go hand in hand. We can't just profess one thing and live like the devil. Our profession must match our possession. Our walk talks and our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. So you can say all the things that you, you profess, all this stuff about God, but he's saying, show me your life. Show me what comes out of your life. The next truth is that they are detestable. They're repulsive to God, false teaching, false teachers, those who want to lead God's people away from the truth. 
and they ought to be detestable to us, that we have no room for error. It's interesting that these, these people who find abomination everywhere, the Bible says that they themselves are abominable. The next truth, that the Bible says they are disobedient. The next truth, it says that they are unfit for any good work. That their life is contrary to the gospel. You want to talk about work and works? You, you, you look what they do, and it's contrary to the gospel. It just does not match up. Unhealthy doctrine produces unhealthy, godless living. Verse number 11, and I specifically said this on the outline because whether it's in uh, Timothy or whether it's in Galatians or whether it's in Revelation, there are other motives of false teachers. But I'm trying to deal with specifically just what does the Bible say in Titus? What, what, what is, and I said, so a motive of false teachers, and it's found here in verse number 11. It says that they must be silent since they are upsetting whole families. And here it is, by teaching for, for the purpose of shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. Now, do we understand that the problem wasn't that they were teaching? Jesus taught his disciples, and he told his disciples to teach other people. It wasn't that they were teaching, it was what they were teaching and why they were teaching what they were teaching. And so I'm going to say this to you. Do you understand that there are people who will teach the Bible and they have ulterior motives? And to me, some of it is like, really? Yeah, really. And so you need to ask for wisdom. You need to ask for grace. You need to search the scriptures. You need to understand your Bibles. Because not everything that is said is said for the right reason or the right purpose. And can I say this, folks? I'm not beyond correction and making a mistake. When I first got saved, I wanted to preach. I was a teenager. And you know what I wanted to go to? I wanted to go to the Bible, and I wanted to preach on the Trojan horse. And I was like, where is this in the Bible, man? Because that's a good story to preach on. Can I say this? That's not in the Bible. But there are things that I have said that someone has said, hey, pastor, what about this? I'm like, you know what? That's a good thing. I, I should have been a little bit more clear. So it's not that either myself or Pastor Dan, that we're up here and we know everything and everything else. But I tell you what, there's a commitment to make sure that we study the word of God and that we're feeding God's people what the Bible says. And you have every responsibility to make sure you go home and you search the scriptures and you make sure that is what's preached from this pulpit is what's true with God's word. Unless you're just a bunch of mindless zombies that just want to believe everything and that's not true. Because truth will impact your life here, and truth will impact your life for all eternity. And you better make sure to know what the scriptures say. They were teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This word is, is really used two other times, and it's not used in a, in a monetary standpoint. But there, there are those people who will say, okay, what's in it for me and how can I gain financially? It, it might be the prestige of other people and have a name and, and you know, other motives and just kind of going along. But just understand that not everyone has a proper motive and you ought to be discerning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty 
for people will be lovers of their self or lovers of self. And it's interesting that the people that hear the preaching from these false teachers become just like the false teachers. You give me a preacher who's loving himself and out for it for himself, then it's not long that the people are right after there and what's in it for me too. No, what's the truth? Number four, the consequence of false teaching. It says they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Upsetting whole families, that is to turn upside down. And can I say this, that when the family is upside down and there's false doctrine in the home, it's eventually going to make its way in the church. If the, if the homes are upside down, then it won't be long before the churches are upside down. And that's why, by God's grace, we want to faithfully proclaim what is truth, declare it among all of our people, and say, let's submit to truth, let's obey the truth, let's, as families, go home and live the truth in our homes. And let's be healthy. Let's submit to the authority of God's word. Number five, what is a biblical response to false teachers? And, and folks, um, I, I asked a question out there on Facebook that two of the three things in the text are very clear, but my first point is not clear. As far as if you look at the text of, of what is three biblical responses for this, the first thing I want to share with you is, is the one that's not so obvious, and it will be obvious. I'll show you here in a moment. I like this quote from J.C. Ryle. He said, watch against the leaven of false doctrine. Remember that bad money is never marked bad. Do not put up with a grain of error merely for the sake of a pound of truth. Do not tolerate a little false doctrine one bit more than you would a little sin. And I want you to see in the context of what God says is a proper response to false doctrine and false teaching. The first response is that godly leadership must protect the sheep. Look in verse number 10 of our text. Verse 10, we're preaching, I'm preaching this morning on verses 10 through 6. The very first word of verse number 10 is the word for. When you see the word for, you might ask, why is it there for? And it's there because it has reference to what was in the preceding verses. And if you go to the preceding verse in verse number 9 of the text... It speaks of qualified pastors that he, the qualified pastor or pastors, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as he was taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And that's why I'm saying letter A of your outline. A biblical response is godly leadership must protect the sheep, must proclaim truth. The reason why we need godly leadership in verses 5 through 9 is because, because we have many people who are teaching false doctrine and the, the, the people that are mentioned in verses 5 through 9, godly leadership, qualified leadership, humble men of God who are pursuing the truth of the gospel must proclaim the truth because there are many people who want to teach false doctrine. Godly leadership. Paul wrote to Timothy, 
He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. By the way, can I say this? It's easy for me to get up here and, and preach against what's wrong, but where's the patience? Where's the grace? Right? And you can do the same thing at home. You can, you can go home and you can pound truth into your kids, but where's the grace and where's the patience and where's the love? It's not just one or the other. It's both. You do it with patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching, but having itching ears. I haven't seen anybody itching their ears this morning. That's good, all right? Itching ears that they may accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Same thing that Titus is dealing with here in Titus chapter 1. So number one, godly leadership. Number two, false teachers must be silenced, verse 11. It says that they must be silenced. That's simply just put a bridle on them, put a muzzle on them. Their mouths must be stopped. What they're saying is no good. It leads to the wrong direction. They must be silenced. It's not enough to ignore some words or expressions or teachings. The words must be stopped. And that's a moral obligation that truth cannot proceed. The third truth we see in our text, verse 13, false teachers must be rebuked. And the, and the text says sharply. And that word sharply has to do with a knife. I don't have a sword back here. But it's, it's just you, you deal with it sharply. You deal with it. They must be rebuked. The opponents must be silenced because their teaching is wrong and their motives are sinful. Someone said this, It is necessary to appear rude sometime for safety if the house is on fire and life is in danger. You rebuke sharply and say it's not right. And we're not going to tolerate it. Look at verse 13. Why do you reprove and rebuke? I'm going to get it right. I'm not speaking in tongues this morning. I promise you. Why do we reprove and rebuke? It's because we want to sit on our high, high horses and just tell someone off? Because we are, we're right. We're good. We got it all together. We've never been wrong. No. You do this that they may be sound in the faith. You know there's hope with the gospel. You know there's hope with Jesus. That those who've wandered away, those who've, who've got the wrong motives, those and Jesus is still there saying, you do this. Not to be vindictive, not to be angry, not to be righteous, but you do it because you might be able to win them to the truth. May God give us hearts desiring when we have to say something that our hearts are like Jesus of wanting to win people to the truth. It says that they may be sound in the faith. And I really wrestled over, who's the they in this text? Who's the they in verse 13? Is it that the they, the, the false teachers? What do you think? Absolutely. Is the they the people in the church that are hearing these instructions? Yes or no? Absolutely. Is the they the people outside of the church to know that the truth deals with truth? Is the they they? Yes, it's they. 
that other people will see God's people standing for truth in all humility that truth might be proclaimed. The false teachers need to be corrected. The church in Crete needs to learn and the people of Crete outside of the church can learn what it means to be sound in faith. Number six, and this is where we'll spend our last um, 45 minutes. Practical truths. Practical truths. I ask the question, so what? We read verses 10 through 16. We understand verses 10 through 16. So what? Th these are truths from a pastoral heart. Okay? These are truths from a pastoral heart. Number one, CBC must expect godly leadership to lead the way. In your Bibles, that's your elders, that's your pastors, that's your bishops, that's, that's Pastor Dan and myself. Spurgeon said this, a bad dog does not see a thief. We have plenty of bad dogs nowadays, he says. Ministers will not see the error which abounds, and religious people sleep while Satan plunders the church. Will you trust godly leadership to lead the way for you? I saw one head shaking. God bless you, ma'am. <laughs> I know you do that because, because you understand our Constitution. You know what our Constitution says? That the pastors will encourage sound doctrine, practice, admonish, and correct error. Can I say it this way? That's our job. That's one, one part of our job. And sometimes people don't like it. But if we're going this way, and we ought not to be going this way, then... then be glad that we're, we find out, no, this is where we should be going. We're accepting this, we're accepting this. No, we ought not to accept this because this is what the Bible says. Number two, CBC must put a, a priority on the teaching and the preaching ministry. Once again, I'm going to go back to our Constitution. That's something foundational. If you're a member of our church that we, you, you've read, and I've asked you if you agreed with it, and you said yes. It says the pastors will be men who satisfy the qualifications that are set principles set forth in Acts and First Peter. The pastors will devote their time to prayer. They will devote their time to the ministry of the word by preaching, teaching, counseling, encouraging sound doctrine, and shepherding the flock of God. Now, folks, not every church expects their pastors to really study the Bible all week long. And you have afforded me, the lead pastor who labors in the word and doctrine, that you have said, all right, we want our pastor doing that. And number one, thank you. But number two, you need, if, if you are from, not from here, if you're looking for a church, make sure that you're finding a pastor who's not, that they're the big type CEO or they're, they're this and they're this and they're this. And, but it's not that our pastor knows God and knows his word. One of the favorite quotes that I heard in seminary that I've had in my office in the past, it talks about the pastor, it says, fling him into the office, tear down the office sign from the door, and nail on the sign, study. Take him off the mailing list, lock him up with his books and his Bible, slam him down on his knees before a holy God and holy text and broken hearts and a superficial flock. Force him to be the one man in our, our um, society 
who knows about God. Throw him into the ring to box with God until he learns how short his arms are. Engage him to wrestle with God all the night through and let him come out only when he's bruised and beaten into a, and being a blessing. Shut his mouth forever from spouting remarks and stop his tongue forever from tripping lightly over every non-essential. Require him to have something to say before he dares break, breaks the silence. Bend his knees in the lonesome valley. Burn his eyes with weary study. Wreck his emotional poise with worry for God and make him spin and be spent for the glory of God. Rip out his telephone. You know, that's an old one. Rip out his telephone. Burn his ecclesiastical success sheets. Give him a Bible and tie him to the pulpit and make him preach the word of the living God. Test him, quiz him, examine him, humiliate him for his ignorance of, of, of things divine. Shame him for his good comprehension of finances and batting averages and political infightings. Laugh at his frustrated effort to play psychiatrist. Form a choir and raise a chant and haunt him with it night and day singing, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And can I say this at Community Baptist Church? That's why Pastor Dan classes, whether it's adult or our children's. We want to know what's being taught on Wednesday nights. We value what is sung on Sunday mornings. We, we value the doctrine that you've sung earlier because doctrine matters. Number three, CBC needs to keep a priority on the pulpit and corporate worship. Hebrews 10 says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the, the more as you see the day drawing near. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. I encourage you to write notes. I encourage you to ask questions. I encourage you to be involved in small groups where you talk about the Bible and how it applies to your life. And can I say this? This is extra. Right now, as we sit in the comfort of our chairs and the air conditioning, hearing a wonderful sermon this morning, okay, maybe not, all right? But there are people in other parts of the building that are serving us. There's junior church. I think we have two junior churches going on. Is that correct? We've got the nursery workers going on. I think they said, I mean, there's like 19, 20 kids back there and everything else. And I mean, but we can sit in here. And sometimes the people out there don't get a chance to come in here. And I'm saying to you that are 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and above. If you want to be a blessing to some of the young moms or some of the young parents, is to take one Sunday a month and just go and hold a baby. That's all you have to do. Or just hand out a piece of paper in a Sunday school class. You don't have to speak. But they need people because everybody needs to understand truth. And I'm not saying that it's not outside of this. It's beyond me. No, it's the Bible. It's us worshiping corporately. It's my, uh, me pre preaching and proclaiming truth and, and sharing the vision of who we are and where God's leading us. Give other people a break. Now, now don't miss every Sunday because I, I don't want the safety team missing every Sunday. I don't want our nursery workers, our children's workers. I want us all to have a chance to be in here of singing praises to God and submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word. Number, number four, D, on your outline, C, CBC must realize that there are dangers from within as well as without. So whether it's a book, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a saying, whether it's a preacher, just because someone says it and it's said in this side of our building or it's said in a home doesn't mean 
it's true. That we have to be on guard. We have to be alert. And I'm like, you know, that whack-a-mole, I think, I don't know, is it a mole that comes up when that does it? I'm like, whack-a-devil. I'm just like, if it's, if it's error, I'm just ready to whack it. You know what I'm saying? You have to be on high alert for things that, that we do and say and accept. Sometimes we just kind of go along with everything. Jude says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for the condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and denying our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And really in our text, folks, there are people who are legalist, who want to obey the commands of man, but then you also have people who are licensed, who, who by their life, it's, it, the works in life don't even add up. You have both spectrums there. We, we need to walk in humility and walk in truth and obey what the Lord says. And number four, or number E on your outline, CBC must equip and encourage parents to teach their children. Moms and dads, it's important for you to speak truth in the home, in the car, on your way, out in the community. Your kids are watching your example. They hear the words you say, but they also see your life. I'm very thankful that one of the responsibilities that Pastor Dan has, he's the family pastor. He's there to encourage our families. But moms and dads, it's not just the church. It's you first and foremost. He's called you to do that with your kids grandparents he's given us the opportunity to speak truth into our grandkids and helping them know your bibles know what the bible says teach your kids and then i close with this because we're going to the lord's table here i ask the question where is jesus where's the gospel in our text you know where the gospel is in our text is that jesus is truth and he wants people to understand the truth where is Jesus in our text he wants anyone who is wayward to come home he's the father on the porch looking down the road and longing and waiting for the wayward child to come home and we sang about it this morning sometimes when we sing I'm writing on my tablet we said, in my Father's house, there's a place for me. Do you believe that this morning? I don't care how messed up your week has been. I don't care how sinful you have been this week. Do you understand that there's a place in the Father's house if you'll come broken and be willing to admit your sin? There's a place. We sang that this morning. How about this? We sang, our sins are many but his mercy is not enough. Is that what we're saying? Our sins are many, but no, his mercy is more. Yeah, our sins are many. We sin, we fail. We go our own way, but God is there, and it's the gospel. As we go to communion this morning, may we remember the gospel.